Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenn Roy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where three hair-whipping, heel-strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottoms up. Ew. Whopping, whopping, whopping. Hey, my love, the error at the end, you know, it's become like a point of the opening. <laughs> oh, gosh. So what have y'all been up to? What have we been doing these past few days? My goodness. Um, teaching. I actually had a... So teaching's always terrifying, but today I think it was actually quite successful. They were engaged. They were sharing their stories. They were connecting course concepts to things that are going on in their lives. A few students opened up about some personal stuff as well, which I was saying to my therapist that I feel like that signals a level of comfort that they have in the classroom space, um, which is, I'm hoping is a good thing. Um, so I'm, t- I'm trying to take in that kind of good feeling for the for the time being oh that's so nice so today actually one of my students well no students so she came up to me and she was like can i join your class because i took the criminal at the faculty and i was like yeah sure but why do you want to join my class and he's like you know everyone says you're, you're they say you're a good tutor i was like oh they actually said that my students i felt good i really did and on top of that i have news so your girl went out and Ooh. her ears, but she did not pierce it once, nor twice, nor three times. She got Stop it. piercings at once. How much? Six. Stop it. No. One, two, three, six. <laughs> yes. One, two, three, six. No. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, I did not know that you're not supposed to sleep on them. So watch me trying to fall asleep for the next month, apparently. It's going to be a struggle. But yeah, sleep on your chin. And I guess I... What happened was I went in and I was like, pierce, you know, both lobes. And then this, and my friend convinced me to do double, a double piercing at a time. One of my sisters, um, Christy. But then apparently I paid for a double piercings on the on each lobe and did not realize it. And by that time I'd already paid for it. I was like, well, bitch, I done paid for it. So just do it. So here. So you said I make somebody bore you six times? No, it actually wasn't painful. I mean, my OT, I get choked out and I didn't suck my So look at <laughs> 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 Jesus. Podcast. Thank you very much. <laughs> what was that? This is a PG thirteen podcast. Oh, really? I didn't know. <laughs> was that departmental memo sent around? Yeah, that's what I've been up to. And you, my Kareem, my dear. <laughs> well, I wish I had students like you guys because my students tried me this week, oh. um, and I hope none of them are listening to this because <laughs> I'm about to leg up a moat upon them. So I've been teaching this one undergraduate class with like 30 different personalities and they all come in like they're all too cool for school. And, you know, I've been trying to do my thing, trying to be real patient. Like, you know, you're once there, you know, you, you, you get this. You've played the game before. You wrote some of the rules. You got this. Yesterday, mm-mm, I lost my cool. I had some discussion questions and I was real petty with it. Will Smith said, um, what does it say? Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Or something like that. So I put that up on the board and I said, well, what does this phrase, what does this statement mean to you guys? And everybody was sounding off like, yes, you need to be in perpetual preparation for success. And we'll do this in the third and blah, blah, blah. I'm saying, well, I'm glad you guys feel like that because you know what we have? A pop quiz. Everybody's like, is he serious? What? <laughs> really? I brought my own loose leaves, my own, my own folder leaf, my love. Get everybody them paper and said, please put away all your laptops and your books. 
um, and your phones and answer each question. So no, everybody up in arms and everybody's mad at me. But guess who don't care? Because guess mm. who got what they got already? Mm. Oh. Okay. So that was my little petty moment for the week, honey, and I'm still on that high because I see them again tomorrow, and I know I'll be getting those. Please, professor, can you drop the lowest quiz grade? And I'm gonna be like, no, because you should have been paying attention. Sorry, not sorry. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I support your choices, Kareem. By the way, Thank I don't you. know if you have thought about this or considered this, but I was just thinking a few weeks ago when. Because sometimes I make references in class and then they have no idea what I'm talking about. And I am like, I am not that much older than you. But it's occurred to me that the average student in first year now was born after 9-11. And that blows my mind. Oh, that is so true. We all I have students in my class. Yeah, after 9-11. Yeah. Can you imagine people being born after 2000? I, mm-mm. And here I am thinking like, you know, we're the same age. For some reason in my mind, I'm just like, oh, I could relate to them. But when I make certain things that I consider to be recent, they're just looking at me like, huh? Like, for example, when I mentioned um, Britney Spears shaving her head, um, some of them are looking at me like, and I'm like, what? Oh, y'all were, oh, y'all were really young when she did that. Because that's what, what, that was what, 2005, 2007, right? Yeah. Yeah. So some of them were still babies. And I'm just like, oh, Okay. <laughs> My bad. Y'all wouldn't have, have recalled that. So I definitely don't understand what you mean. Thank you for aging all of us, Kareem, with that last <laughs> <laughs> But I would like the listeners to know I crystallized at 25. Oh, okay. I'm not going any older than that. All right. 25? Yes. Everything- you know, I still tell people my age is, like, unintentionally, when somebody asks, how old are you? I go 25 <laughs> without even thinking. I was like, wait, no. That was a few years ago. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, maybe this is a prompt then for us to talk about queer men and our obsession with youth and non-aging at some point. We definitely. So, see you then, one next episode. I'm going to make a note of that right now. Yeah, jot it down. But thank you for reminding us that we have an episode to do because um, we're going on and on about our lives. But um, so today we're talking about queerness and dancehall, the notion of them being um, unlikely bedfellows, and this is something I'm really interested in and passionate about, especially with what we try to do with Pride at JFLAG and how we try to show that the two can come together. But before we get into all of that, um, what we're going to do is start with an understanding of what dancehall represents or should represent, um, and then we can get into our own individual experiences of dancehall and then get to, to all of that queer dance all come together ideas and stuff and stuff so before i get my understanding of dance all perhaps kareem you want to shoot me yours i mean i've never really thought about what dance all meant or should represent but i can tell you what i've always felt when i am in dance all spaces or hear dance all music mm-hmm. and it's always just like this feel good time this um, when the girl them say, I'm come for leg on my body, or I'm gonna come for leg on my mouth. That, that's just those feelings are what I associate with dance. I know that dance off for me has always been like a pick me up. So, for example, here when I'm feeling when I'm missing home or when I'm feeling down, I have this playlist in Apple Music that my brother shares with me because he's more in tune and with the dance all the new releases than I am. And it's called Carelessness. And on that dance hall, it's just all type of, just like the name suggests, Carelessness. Spice, Lady Sa, Idonia. What my friend name with the eye? We look like in tattoo him eye. 
Alkaline. 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 So, I mean, I've always like associated those kind of sentiments with dance hall, um, apart from the other heavy stuff that we'll get into later. But in terms of, I guess, defining it and um, what it's meant and the historical underpinnings, I've never really given thought to it beyond how it's made me feel. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's great. Before I get into that defining yeah, stuff, yeah. I forgot my playlist too. So I have two, play- two dance playlists. The first one named Brado Bus Ride, because it's like your Killisness playlist. is about, because it's when you go somewhere from one trip and so you play Killisness music and your friend them dash out. Right, and, yeah. And then you have the next playlist now named Blessings. And we can't really tell you what that playlist is for because Carl and said it's PG-13. <laughs> no, I want to know. Tell us, right, see that? <laughs> yeah, bend the rules now. <laughs> Well, the Blessings playlist features the slow and steady songs that assist quite on experiences. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. You have to go share that. Wait, I, I certainly will. I have it on YouTube. So I can... Absolutely. Because sometimes the phone don't load it up. You have to put on the YouTube playlist for the phone. Around sound, yeah. <laughs> but in terms of defining what dancehall is, I mean... Not that I'm any expert in dancehall at all, but just based on my understanding that dancehall comes as the evolution of reggae and reggae being revolutionary music, the music of the um, the, the poor masses who were being um, within the certain sociopolitical context of Jamaica within the 70s, being oppressed. Dancehall comes out as a, a more extreme, well, not so much extreme, but a harder, more stark representation of Jamaican realities. And it has always been... It, it has been that where where reggae talks about chanting down the system and vi- and positive vibrations and all of that dancehall goes a step further and says everything in the most explicit and most direct ways for the wider society to understand what people in the ghetto are experiencing and living and going through and that's why i think dancehall resonates with so many of us so much because it it's at it is at its core the most jamaican thing ever like it is irreverent, fundamentally irreverent, as we are fundamentally irreverent. And it said things are not clear. It talks things in any with any different manner. And therefore, you get the positive sides of Jamaicanness, the feel-good vibe, all the things that we love, you know, the brawliness, the fun. But you then you also get all the problematic ideas that we have in Jamaica, the sexism, the patriarchy, the homophobia. All of that is wrapped up in dancehall because dancehall is us, that side of us that because of Christianity we stray away from, therefore it's hypersexualized, and the side of us that we have not worked through but still exi- still exists, and that's all of the social problems that are there. So yeah, that meeting dance out me. Wow. That's a mouthful. It is. And um so Donna Hope does a lot of like writing. So you have Donna Hope and Carolyn Cooper. Um, I think Carla Moore writes some on, on dancehall as well. But they all talk, kind of give you a sense of what dancehall does and, and what it represents. And my love, because it's nice and it, it alone can make me connect certain way, especially when I'm in the club and I want to be free. Dancehall is the only thing that can command my body for moving. So when that bass, they lick you in at a party. Don't move. Don't move when, when they lick you. Lick you. <laughs> And, the, and you hear the deep voice in a cartel throat are one of them artists that you know. Mister, you're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it. I'm a star. What you saying? For real. No, but for real. I, I, I really, um, 
I understand what you mean because here, and it be, it's so funny because my friends when they hear this episode, they're going to be like, yes, gala true. I remember like every time we go to, or every time we're looking for here in America, like a club to go to, we look for the type of music that they mentioned that they're yeah. playing, right? And no, no shade to the pop girls and the EDM and those like fist pumping stuff. That's great. We enjoy them too. But the night no feel good if I'm gonna hear two dancer. I'm gonna talk dirty wine. Come on, move me and dirty wine now. I'm gonna talk about like the good, good spice, summer like it, and shensia, shinging anthem. Like, if that not drop, and not only certain places can go get them. Like, we used to go to this place called Langston in Brooklyn. And whenever you go there, you're sure, like you're in, you're in, you're, you're, you're guaranteed a, a really good time as a Caribbean person or as a Jamaican person who wants to hear dance in a queer space. Mm-hmm. But for real, if you don't hear it when you go out, then it's like a waste your outfit. You just feel like a waste your gas, a waste your soul, a waste your outfit. You just the night mix. unfulfilled. So, like for me, I would look forward to Bootylicious um, in London because it was one of the few places I knew I could get authentic dance or, or as authentic as possible in London. And I mean, I put, there probably were other spaces in London that I could have gone to, but then they weren't necessarily catering to um, the queer community. So, and, and that's always something I have to kind of pay attention to because as we talked about last episode, those diaspora spaces, if they're not catered to queerness, can be even more homophobic than Jamaican spaces or domestic Jamaican spaces. So um, I was watchful for that and I safeguarded that once a month experience at Booty Delicious and it became a ritual with me and my friends. We would drink up at my place, we'd get on the tube, lit as PG-13, and then... <laughs> and then we make our way to Bootylicious already late, so we just go right around to the dance hall section and have a blast until 5, 6 a.m. in the morning. So, like, it speaks to me. And it's so funny that that wasn't always my experience with dance hall. Um, and I started from a place where um, I guess I was growing up as this proper uh, pseudo-Christian, not really, but, you know, I was supposed to act a certain kind of way and be respectful. And so I, I pushed away dance hall as vulgar. And really, it wasn't until sixth form when I also kind of let down some of my hair, as I talked about, I think, in like the first, in the pilot, and, and also in my new one about our high school experiences, that I started to engage in dance hall, listening, listening, listening to it a bit more, um, recognizing like the lyrical skills of like a vibes cartel and, and say, oh, but it's nice. But also, I guess it came with an awakening of my own sexuality. And so where was I going to hear about sex? Where was I going to hear about skin out and all of them nights nice, that as a teenager, no more fascinated with coming out of them something day. You know, and dance hall was it because it was all the sex that I needed in Jamaican language. And and from then, I've just been drawn to its explicitness. It's It's defiance frankly all the tech girl man tech, tech girl man sang them all of the true words sang them all of the bubble down and battled sang them they speak to a side of me that i don't always experience and really only dancer can connect me to that so it, it has a very special place in my heart as you can imagine but i'd love to hear from you karim about your own journey and then we'd love to hear from cornell about his perspective on, on dancer <laughs> i mean I have, I think I have a love, well, earlier, um, before the words didn't really have an impact on me. Um, like they, I mean, back then they had an impact on me, but now not so much. So I can listen to a song and be like water over the bridge or um, water under the bridge. 
but I had this love-hate relationship with Dancehall because I loved Dancehall, right? But I just didn't feel like Dancehall loved me back. And um, because almost every song, apart from, and I think I was I, I was inclined to the more the female artists, even though they themselves had some very problematic lyrics, but there were some moments where, like, Boom Bye Bye still haunts me to this day, um, even though I'll still go into about a party and hear it play and sing out and put up my gun finger and carry on, which is weird to me. Um, some of the lyrics, they're from the my partner, Chichi Man, Carry, Give Me The Fire, Make Good Bond, like, I just didn't feel like I was welcomed into those spaces, as, as, especially those spaces that were not created by queer individuals or with the intention to entertain queer individuals. And so I always had like a love-hate relationship because I remember um, growing up and my mother would confirm this, what's that champion bubbler? Even though she, she talks about the, oh, my waistline gone because me just put on this dancing and this, that, and the third. And it's so that relationship has always been kind of touchy, for lack of a better word. It, me and Dan tell about really touches relationship. Now, like a song could come out and I could care less. But I've also been realizing that the lyrics aren't necessarily as homophobic as they used to be. And so maybe that's why I'm enjoying it more um, to the point where if I go into a Jamaican restaurant and I hear the music playing, sometimes I lose myself. Yes, I'm a look away, and I carry on <laughs> out of the food. And I remember that this is a Jamaican restaurant and some Jamaican men are still ignorant and they might call me out or even worse, some physical confrontation. But yeah, I... As I reflect on my journey, it's really been, I don't know, it's been kind of, I don't know, problematic, kind of touches. What about you, Cornell? Yeah, I mean, I don't have that strong of a relationship to dancehall. I didn't listen to it. I mean, I'm sure I would, I've heard it when I was growing up, but um, in my household, my older sister typically played like old 90s R&B kind of jams. And when I was in high school, I was more so into like alternative rock type of music. Um, for me, dancehall, how do I say this? Dancehall represents a kind of um, masculine spirituality or a kind of sexuality that I didn't typically connect with. And so it wasn't, you know, a kind of space that I was interested in uh, participating in. I feel like I have more of a an, an, an appreciation for it now in... Um, adulthood, uh, partly because I think dancehall opens up, you know, space for me to explore my my sexuality in a way that is hard for me. I I mean I don't know. Maybe I'm I don't think, but maybe I'm prudish. Maybe I'm a little repressed. God knows, like what the situation is. But when I hear certain dancehall songs come out, I want to rock out, as it were. Um, not that I will. Yeah, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's something that's aspirational. And I was thinking about what you were saying earlier about the the Vibes Cartel song. There is something there in terms of like how, in terms of like dancehall male artists, it sounds like, you know, men whispering sweet nothings into your ear. Um, and I was thinking about like queer men's relationship to women dancehall artists. Because I'm, 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 I guess I'm trying to connect... So I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, queer men and their admiration or idolization of divas. And I think Jamaican queer men have a similar kind of relationship to women dancehall artists. I think they explore a kind of sexuality and liberation that queer men also aspire to. Um, so you're thinking about like Spice or um, The Angel. And it's, it's a kind of energy that 
you know, I am my own person. I'm going to own my sexuality and you aren't going to, you know, take chat from me kind of thing, which is uh, something I think is really powerful. I would say in terms of music or songs that resonated with me, I remember when Bicycle by Vibes Cartel came out. I was really into that. You said it into the bicycle, you said it, I moved to it and fuck, you know, ride it like a bicycle. Yeah, ride the bicycle back Africa. As I said, I am aspiring towards the, the working out. I am not there yet. <laughs> hey. But like, like one, I mean, yeah, maybe one day, maybe one day. But I like that song. I So, I mean, similar to what Kareem was saying about even though some of these songs have homophobic lyrics, anytime Romping Shop comes on, I am there. I am with it. I am when you put me down my Romping Shop, sorry. I'm there. <laughs> all the way. And then I, so this was funny. So I participated in the Toronto Pride March a few years ago with, with you know, a group of folks. And, you know, we were playing music while we were waiting and, you know, they were like taking requests. And I had asked for Conscience Gala Bubble to... to Gala Bubble. And that song gets me in, you know, it gets me in the, gets me in all the right places. But it was funny because I hadn't... Sorry? Me, yeah. Yeah, I personally use that word weird, right? <laughs> I mean and I mean in those contexts I don't I don't mind it really. Um and so I don't know, maybe I should do a bit more exploration with dancehall in terms of like loosening up my body so i think things. so in all the conversations yeah. I, I want to pick up one thing in particular um because kareem talks about when he listened to when he paid attention to dancehall in the later years he realized that there's been a progression and i think the nature of dancehall because it, it constantly represents jamaican realities and because jamaica isn't stagnant and it's moving the tenor of dancehall has changed and i think i i think about the the extreme violence in dancehall including homophobic violence as reflective of the early the 90s and early 2000s, where that was a significant issue for members of the LGBT community here. But through times changing, interventions by different organizations, and just, you know, the increasing visibility in media, we've seen a softening of attitudes. We've seen um, different narratives. We've seen less dancehall music being as so virulently homophobic. And in a lot of ways, there are very certain spaces in Jamaica you not hear those songs played. And I think that kind of represents how we've kind of moved from men feeling as if, although they still do it because dancehall is performative by nature and therefore it requires certain forms of performance. And a male dancehall artist, therefore, must say that he's not gay, must say that he has a lot of women, must say that he's bust gone, even if that is not in reality. He has to establish a, 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 a connection with, Jamaican imaginary as what a man should be and so he does that and then he can move on to doing all the other things that he has to do but what we've seen is that less and less are dancehall artists required to do certain things but then even in the, the heterosexual realm you have to remember there was a time when a man of a bow right in the same way a woman of a bow right which Jamaican for the, for the non-Jamaican listeners <laughs> is you know, the language of oral sex, and that was a taboo in dancehall, and as much as um, anal sex was a taboo in dancehall and homosexuality was a taboo, and then now we get to the point when Cartel sing Freaky Girl, um, and that became a thing, and Gage sing Dung in Air Throat, and then it became normalized, and then all of a sudden, and then we get to the point where an Aishana 
can sing about equal rights and justice. And just to, just today, Shensia, or yesterday, Shensia posts about um the fact that she's not going to do with no man that not going to give her a head. So throughout all of that, we're sitting at the dance hall, oh, it takes on and it moves and it doesn't stay in that one place. And that's why I think it's important to kind of see dance hall behind, beyond, like, one thing, that it, it, it doesn't stay fixed. And so I guess now I would love to hear right. about what, do you think it's possible for a queer person to exist in a dancehall space? I guess maybe that's an answered question because you all exist in dancehall spaces. But I guess the better question is what is your relation? What is your relationship with dancehall in light of your queerness? Like how do, how does your queerness become an issue for you when you're in a dancehall space or vice versa? I mean, so before we even get to that question, I wanted to respond to something really quickly. So first of all, big up to Shensia for making those conditions explicitly clear because if it is 2019 and you aren't you know providing that kind of loving to your woman then you don't need to be dating women or like doing the do or getting anything else I wanted to ask though in terms so you were talking about how the tenor of dancehall culture has changed over time and you were you know speaking to the softening of attitudes um I'm curious Okay, like to what extent is it the, the question of softening of attitudes or, and then to what extent is it the, is it because of what they call the pink dollar as it were? So I think in some cases there is this recognition that uh, LGBTQ communities hold a certain kind of uh, economic capital or sway perhaps. And, um, you know, for a particular few, few years ago, a few artists weren't, allowed to perform at certain venues because of protests from uh, particular LGBT rights groups and, and so on. So I'm wondering, is it that people are being more conscious of their own kind of like ability to make money? Um, but also in terms of thinking about gender, are male and female dancehall artists responding in the same way? Because my sense is that the women are, well, for lack of a better word, far more progressive on this topic than the the men are. So, and even before Glenn responds to that, because I, I'm mostly in agreement with Cornell or like the points that he's raising because, and I was trying to call it like my own biases because as much as I love dancehall, I feel like I've been scarred a little bit by dancehall artists and the lyrics that they um, promote and perpetuate and the ideals that they perpetuate or encourage the I was thinking when you asked your question earlier, Glenroy, I was thinking to myself, well, have I necessarily, like, am I able to really see the progress that we see in dancehall and that you and Javion um, talk about? Can I see it as genuine as you guys? Or maybe you, you probably, maybe you don't see it as genuine, but you just appreciate that progress is being made regardless. Because in my mind, right, and this is where I'm trying to, like, you know, step back from that mindset, to me it's like, well, progress is being made because of these laws or because of the threat of not making money or because of the threat of not being able to perform like they would like to on the international scene, right? Which I'm I'm pretty sure every dancehall artist kind of, or I, maybe it's a gross assumption that they aspire towards. Um, and not necessarily because they are genuinely, um, genuine. their attitudes are genuinely changing towards LGBTQ individuals. And just like Cornell, right, with the female artists, I feel like it's it's easier for me to say, yes, they are genuinely... Um, more into it because we do their hairs, we do their makeup, we make their outfits and so on and so forth. They've gotten to know us on a deeper um, and more personal level to see that we're actually 
wonderful individuals that are not actual sexual deviants like they um, portrayed us to be. But on the male side, I'm having a hard time thinking that they are just no longer um, promoting those lyrics because they've had a change of heart. Now, maybe they have a change of heart, but they still aren't at that level where they can come out and say, you know what, I support LGBTQ individuals. Perhaps like Buju was able to do the other day when he um, said he's trying to get beyond boom, bye, bye and become a better man and so on and so forth because he acknowledges the hurt that it's caused. But I don't know. I think I'm struggling on that front because I don't necessarily see it as genuine on most male artists. No, I think these are all fair questions. Um, And so I think now I think it's important to acknowledge the contribution of this campaign, the Light the Stop Murder music campaign, which did kind of call international attention to the need for dancehall to reconsider some of its lyrics um, and it kind of and kind of strike up the needed conversations about the ways in which dancehall artists said certain things and, and had violently homophobic lyrics. And I think it was critical that the kind of attention was brought to that and that did help with the conversation. But I think the cynicism around it needs to be we need to be mindful of because there's a way in which we we then don't allow people in third world countries to progress because the truth is there's homo- there have been homophobic lyrics in other forms of music including rap music r&b music even rock music at, at points in time and so and those music those music forms have evolved with their own spaces and so dancehall is just as as capable of doing that one and two, it's important to understand that even though the international does hold a certain kind of sway, there have been artists in the Jamaican context who will say one thing internationally, but when they're on the home base where the, homophobia, the performative homophobia is required, they will double down on that homophobia. And in some instances, that is what happened with those kinds of campaigns when it, it went beyond raising awareness about the importance of not um, removing or addressing these kinds of lyrics, but was in a way almost seemed as if they were just targeting all Jamaican artists and presuming that they were all the same. So even an artist like Tanya Stevens, who has sung many songs, um, or a couple of songs uh, promoting LGBT rights, or at the very least, let me not say LGBT rights, was promoting equality for all. She was negatively affected by the Stop Murder Music campaign. And so that has to be interrogated as well, the way in which that campaign then became something else, colored by potentially race issues and how we perceive everybody from a certain space. But suffice to say, the campaign was critical, but not the only thing. And I think based on what has happened in Jamaica and the kind of changes that we've seen, there have also been local actions. So there have been local promoters that said they will not allow certain forms of violent lyrics to be played at events that they were sponsoring, and that did have an impact as well. But also, even if you look at male artists and the kind of content that they produce now, it wasn't. it's not just about not singing problematic lyrics, because they do still, still sing um, lyrics that are very heteronormative but it's just not violently homophobic. So we're not saying that all the problems that existed in dancehall are gone. It's just that the tenor it has changed has gradually shifted. It wasn't a knee-jerk, oh, we're not getting no more money from tours abroad, so therefore we're not going to sing, we're no longer going to sing things. It's like, no, they still sing lyrics in a heteronormative way. It's just that they've gradually removed certain elements. And so so even our conscience would, would sing something like, you're a Batman if you're not happy even what even what that lyric says using the slur of Batman, but still it was more about saying if you're not engaging in heterosex, then this is what you are, which is problematic, admittedly, but a far cry away from Boom Bye Bye. So also the kind of lens that you take to dancehall has to be has to kind of be placed in the kind of nuance of what it is and what it requires of the performers as well. 
And I think if you take that kind of lens, you recognize the shift in the tone that has happened as a result of a multiplicity of factors, including responding to international and local pressures, but also that I feel like Jamaicans' attitudes have, um, have slowly changed, and so the kinds of performances aren't the same that are required. You still have to say it's straight, but how you say that has changed and is less about violence. And so that, to me, is a marked change in dancer that we can recognize in the same way we can recognize say you can't give head women can talk about giving head and no a woman can ask that man give head as well because that represents that kind of shift as well yeah i mean i agree um and i could call it like my own cynicism and so on but i guess for me it's just and maybe it's just me being it's not necessarily me being difficult but again it's kind of like the healing process and going over it and being like you know what even though i love um, I don't know. What did Jesus say? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, but for me, it was just more so like, it was more so like I while I was growing up in Jamaica, right? When it comes to feel good music, um, dance hall was that feel good music for me. And here in America, rap is homophobic, still has their issues, hip hop, rap, and so on. But I felt like there were other music that I could turn to. And then considering my limited access at the time in Jamaica. I didn't feel like I had other options to but run to that would give me that same feel-good music. And so I guess maybe just bitter. Maybe just like, mm, like, like, how dare you all of a sudden? Huh? You have a right to be. Because, I mean, let's be clear. There are certain dancehall songs. I, as much as I give this nuance analysis, I will never dance to. I will always not dance to Boom Bye Bye. And even if I can take a certain analysis to it, I won't dance to it because it, it doesn't make me feel comfortable. And like, the same goes for other things. So it, it depends on how the, the homophobia and heteronormativity manifests in a specific song, in a specific context. And I want to underline the point, in as much as I talk about the gradual development of dancehall, it's important that we do not minimize the hurt it caused, the pain it caused, the violence it promoted, and how it affected and the trauma it has caused in many people who still live in Jamaica or who have left Jamaica, in part because of it and its lyrics and its promotion of violence and homophobic kinds of violence. Dancehall has harmful aspects of it. And that is one piece of it that if some if a queer person comes to me and says, I do not listen to dancehall because of this, I understand. Um, can I just respond to a few things really quickly? So you said a few minutes ago, you were talking a few minutes ago about the Stop the Murder Music campaign and you were saying that, you know, potentially there might have been, uh, like race might have played, uh, like potentially I think is, is the word you use. And I would say you don't have to qualify your statement with potentially. I do think race definitely played a, a part in how that story was portrayed in inter internationally because as you as you said other genres of music also include you know homophobic lyrics or or violent lyrics but they aren't labeled quote unquote murder music and i think it's important for us to take stock of the fact that not only is it, is it a conversation about perceived homophobia but this is you you are targeting and you scapegoating um a group of people that are living in a majority black country and i mean Keep in mind too that Jamaica has this kind of international reputation of being, you know, rife with violence or, you know, um, well, what's what word am I looking for? Like uh, struggling to deal with criminality and and such. And so there's a way that the Stop the Music Murder campaign, despite its contribution, has 
contributed to a narrative where dancehall culture and by extension Jamaican culture is portrayed as um, inherently uh, or innately problematic and and violent. I was also going. To, I just wanted to say, and I'm. I mean. I'm tentative with this particular statement because I don't know enough about dancehall music to to make this claim with some some level of authority. I also wonder what it says about the kind of priorities that the public has in terms of like what they're taking issue with. So there there was there was a point in time where Jamaicans or queer Jamaicans specifically were taking issue with homophobia in dancehall music, and sometimes I wonder, well, are we also having sustained conversations with the same level of urgency about you know sexism or misogyny misogyny in in dancehall music as well and so we are the the campaigns um on that front as well and then the last thing i'll say and i'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are about this some people would argue that the homophobia or quote-unquote anti-gay lyrics in dancehall music isn't so much about demonizing or denouncing gay people it is artists using the kind of verbal what is it like artistic wordplay or using the 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 kind of vocabulary that they've established as a kind of sparring match so within that particular framework they understand that queerness or gayness or homosexuality is um something that is, is seen as as bad something that compromises another man's um, masculinity or heterosexuality or strength or whatever the case is. And so I wonder, do you think that holds any weight whatsoever that it's just a way for um, these dance artists to engage in a kind of like verbal combat situation? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was, uh, <laughs> girl, me not listen and then bam, something <laughs> But yeah, girl. <laughs> Absolutely. Everything you said, I mean, especially that thing that you flag about the problems within dancehall, because um, dancehall has, the, there's a song that Elephant Man sings, that Gal in a Walk-In Cemetery, which is a song about um, demonizing women who have a birthright. And while there is scholarly engagement about the sexism in dancehall and local discussions about the sexism in dancehall, there are international conversations about the sexism in dancehall. So we also have to kind of recognize that when white gay men control how what happens across cities and societies, then you see the sets of priorities that come up, right? And that's also a broader conversation about inter- the international LGBT movement that I won't get into right now because uh, also I have more work for Tinkbo. But yeah, um, you make very valid points. And I want to kind of transition into queerness, that's all as queerness, but before we get there, I think the point I just made reinforces this idea. And also I think we, we all talk about this relationship that we have with dancehall. We have to recognize that we're, as human beings, we're allowed to be contradictory. It's completely fine because dancehall is a performative space to enjoy the carelessness, enjoy the slackness, enjoy the problems um, within that moment of what a dancehall space allows you to be, which is the freedom to be truly Jamaican. And then you left the space and you take up your glasses and you put it on there, put up your hair and your nice high bun. <laughs> You're going to your classroom and critique all the problems within it. I think it's important to understand that. Not wrong with that. We can't bother today and cost tomorrow. But on that yes. note, on that note, um, uh, Colonel, how familiar are you with the ideas of blackness as queerness? Those kinds of theories. Okay, I want to know what you, how you're framing that before I get into, because uh, I don't know if what I'm thinking is what you're thinking. 
So I remember one um, Pride conference, someone presented on blackness as queerness and the ways in which black women are seen as fundamentally queer because they kind of exist outside of the white heteronormative and heteropatriarchal frameworks within certain societies. Right. So everything they do read as queer. Okay. And I think similarly, that's how we can perceive dance all as queerness because in Jamaica, there's this dominant um, Judeo-Christian set of values that we're supposed to all perform and we're supposed to all accede to a certain level of propriety. The church-going Jamaican who is hardworking and respectable and has one woman and one you know one woman one man that image and then dancehall disrupts all of that. Right. Dancehall have the careless girl who the shame for take people bad who skin out and brown out and something there. Dancehall have the scammer boy who trash out and spend the money and don't shame for talk. Dancehall has all of those things that are fundamentally queer within the context of the propriety of Jamaican society. But then even then, dancehall in its discussions of sexuality, in its presentations of masculinity, can we look always some other dancer them wear in other dancehall, they have to look and wonder. Right. And that also shows that dancehall is queer because in its, even in its gender presentation, it, it doesn't strictly follow the rules of masculinity and femininity that have already been established. And actually, so Nadia Ellis writes this um, article called Out and Bad, Right. And she kind of talks about that kind of evident queerness within dancehall about how not only does it resist those rules of society, but it also kind of pres- creates an opportunity for all forms of gender performance that if you really look on them, they're not supposed to happen. Right. So, even, so even, now in the dancehall, traditionally the woman used to take up the space and they would put on a show and the man would have hold them corner. Nowadays, the man them in at the middle of the dancer do all of the move them. The other day when Candy, Candy will come out with her with our with our with our local wine right? and she she went to the cartel song all of the man them start to come the wine and I wine together and I did move them and so and I saw dancehall provides that kind of space for those kinds of things to happen. And then within all of that, we have to put on a character like Shibanda, who in the middle of dancehall culture. Mm. And how you square off the presence of a Shibanda with a homophobic dancehall that the idea of a homophobic dancer that doesn't tolerate queer presence, but then you hear you have Shibada every day for Africana, sit down and elaborate, and I marvel at, the, uh, at, Mar- at Marvin Denise's member and other such delights. Um, so, okay, so yeah, so I agree with your point that, uh, so the, what you were saying about blackness as queerness is kind of along the, the same lines as I was thinking. So there are scholars working in black studies who make the argument that the kind of conception of the kind of physical philosophical conception of man as we know it does not account for um, blackness black people's lives and in fact um, black people are often positioned in contrast outside of in excess of you know what is considered uh, normative uh, in, in in our world so black people's sociality, uh, ways of being, uh, kinship systems, structures, all of that are by that definition read as as queer for these reasons because black people are constructed in a way to um, not fit or um, to be positioned as, as outside of, you know, whatever definitions of, of normity exist out in the world. I mean, I'm listening to you, listening to you talk and I would even broaden the scope and say that it's not just dancehall that is queer. Like 
Jamaican culture in itself is quite queer. Like Jamaicans love being extra. Jamaicans love excess. So I'm thinking about you. So I, I came across the Nadia Ellis article a few years ago. And before reading the article, I've been thinking about the fact that, you know, I, I guess I hadn't questioned how, you know, men in the dancehall communities are wearing tight pants and flashy outfits and accessories and heritage and other things. But outside of that space, they would judge, you know, men and then, you know, refer to them as being, you know, Batman or, or whatever. The kids did. But like, this happens in all aspects of Jamaican society. So you think about people within the dancehall space. If you think about Jamaicans at church, listen, people at church are like hella extra. If you think about Jamaican athletes, even like anyone who's been to Jamaican champs, if you've seen the Jamaican athletes at the Olympics, like have you seen their hairdos? Extra, excess, they love it. Um, and so, yeah, Jamaican culture is quite campy, whether or not people want to admit that. I was going to say for the Thoughts purpose of the listeners, we should... And I was going to say, for the purpose of the listeners, we should probably um, redefine queer because since the start of the podcast, we've been using the term queer, at least in relate, as it relates to the, the sexual movement and so on. But I think you guys have done a wonderful job in terms of the um, examples that you've used in order to redefine that for them. Um, but no, I definitely agree because when I came across the, um, in preparation for the episode, Glenn Roy kept saying, you know, that dancehall is inherently queer. And in my mind, I'm just like, no, it's not. Cause I don't see myself like as a queer person in dancehall. Um, I don't see representation of queer identified rappers in dancehall. So I was inherently queer, but then I started to think about the other definitions of queer. And that's when I got, it, it was like, Oh, okay, yes. Um, but in talking about that queerness, I'm forced to also talk about that Cornell just mentioned, the lack of a better word, the hypocrisy that also exists because I've been in spaces where, um, like if you look at how men present themselves in dance, all right, um, shape up our lineup, fresh to the fresh to death, like always fresh out of the barber's chair, um, eyebrows razor sharp, um, clothes always neat, tight not even fitted but tight and i'm thinking about the way i presented myself like growing up in jamaica where those were the reasons that classified me as gay but classified somebody else as trendy or gallus or um somebody worthy of some type of accolade or recognition because in my community growing up i was gay not because they saw me with a man but because they um because one dude said, I was always in the barber chair, I'm a too pretty. No man, I'm too pretty, man. They no say my fish, man, I'm too pretty. Or um, the style of my clothing, when I started experimenting with more fitted jeans. Remember those days, Cornells, where you take it, mm-hmm. where we took in the uniform pants or my jeans became a little bit more um, fitted than, the, than, they, than they usually were. Or the fact that I was always going out with um, females or I was always in female company. Um, in dancehall, having all of those attached, to, like if I was in the dancehall setting, then that would be somebody, like that would make me somebody noteworthy, right? Noteworthy, right? But in outside of dancehall, I'm just the Batman, the fish. And so in thinking about dancehall's queerness, I'm also thinking about how it's still kind of like a double standard or, um, yeah, double-edged Yeah, standard. I think that's a powerful point to add um, the kinds of contradiction and hypocrisies that exists in that because you can because masculine presenting men get to perform get to adorn themselves with all the symbols of queerness and and they get a pass but then 
more feminine guys, when we do that, we're immediately called out and sometimes ostracized and face all sorts of social sanctions because of it. And I think, yeah, that's a good qualifier as well. It's not that we're saying it's a free-for-all in dancehall where you can be um, visibly queer and just get a pass. Some can be and some have, but that's not necessarily dancehall's reality because of its own structures and rules and settings. But even within all of that, it, it does, as Corner talks about, showcases the Jamaican extraness and queerness and, 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 and campiness. Um, and this is my final point on queerness and dancehall. I, I said this before that the most, the most place I can be visibly queer as a Jamaican is through dancehall because that's when I got bubble up my body like a bad girl and wine and bubble down and all of them, something. And that's the moment you will recognize me or I'll be assumed to be a queer man. And so I think it's useful to think about that as Jamaicans, how dancehall becomes a part of constituting our queer identities. Yeah, I mean, I I was saying earlier that dancehall music creates a space where people can, um, I mean, particularly for... Well, in my well, in my view, particularly for the for the women artists, the the way they narrate stories about their sexualities, I can see and I can understand why uh, queer men can identify with some of the for the lyrics because again, it is non apologetic. Um, it is being very clear about um, who they are, what they want, what they like, and what they are going to demand from from other other men. I also think music, generally speaking, music for Black people in particular, uh, there's something about it that, you know, in, in, in terms of the energy that you can't, I mean, it's special. It's, 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 un, it's indescribable, undescribable. I don't know which, which word is appropriate. But I think, again, moments like that is a way for us to explore our sexuality, connect in our um, blackness and well as well in ways that we might not be able to do otherwise. Terry, thoughts? I mean, my I guess are we doing our final thoughts? I'm I'm I appreciate the perspectives that I've been exposed to throughout this process, especially from you, Glenn, or especially from um, reading the articles that Javion has um, spoken in. But I did come across one very interesting one that talks about. Um, What's his name? Cornell Drew? Drew Angel? Um, I don't know if you've heard of him, but in Googling some stuff, I came across this, and he does this song called Rude Boy. And I guess my... Um, I don't know how how I feel about his entrance into dancehall in terms of if he was supposed to come to Jamaica and perform, how would that be received? Um and I guess it's not being extreme or I can't extreme, ex- expect extreme change overnight. But um, I don't know. I guess dancehall will surprise me when somebody like a Drew Angel, um, there's, they're holding space for him or space opens up outside of, for example, like a Pride event. Because um, I could definitely see him at a Pride event. But um, perhaps like a, what's, what's the regular dancehall thing? I don't know. Performing at an ATI weekend. Some Do fancy. dancehall people perform there? Some fest? I don't know. Yeah. Wait, when and, that and happens, just, huh? Wait, just and just to explain for our listeners, um, and you can correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but Drew, Drew Angel is a uh, US based dancehall artist of Jamaican ancestry. Right. And he is a gay man. Yeah, he's an openly gay man. And I mean, I don't know much about him, but except this one song that I see 
and I'm just like listening to the lyrics. And to be honest, it's something that Spice would sing, that Shansia would probably sing, um, that who else? Aishana would sing, given her latest records. But coming from him, I don't think it would re- receive the same reception. Not that, not saying that their songs are like um, outrightly accepted, but I could definitely see a stronger backlash coming. Um, if he was supposed, if this song was supposed to become popular and be circulated in Jamaica among um, other Jamaican dancehall artists, but I'm remaining hopeful. Absolutely, fair, and, and that's positive. a fair assessment. I think it's important. I mean, I, I think I always like saying this, but like these different experiences and different sentiments towards like a dancehall and by extension Jamaican culture key. Like we will all, we all have different relationships to it, and like I said, it's inherently contradictory, and. Um, I think I've, I've come to a place where I found so I found peace and home within in my enjoyment of dancehall, but in full knowledge of all of the problems. It's like you know, it's like a classic Jamaican family. You know, you love them, but they have some dirty ways. We have to cost them when they have the ways, but you still love them nonetheless. And I think that characterizes my relationship with dancehall. Cause we did that one party the other day. I'm going bad. It was a party party still. So you know. It is nice, and the girl and put an it up, and with that, with a knock it on the concrete and stuff. And that will always be what dancer represents to me—the <laughs> opportunity to be at my most queer. Um, but of course, within full knowledge of all right. its limitations. So, um, I'm glad we were able to have this discussion and right. kind of go through like different ideas about it. And see, Cornell, you had a lot to say. Oh, who would have thought? <laughs> so thank you listeners for listening and hearing our wild ideas about dancehall and going through the different aspects of it and how it intersects and meets with queerness and departs from it. Thank you for listening. Be sure to like, subscribe and share um, wherever our podcast is available. available. We're on Spotify, Apple, um, Apple Podcasts, Pinecast, right? Which is our own um, personal thing. Oh. Um, yeah. Be sure to like and follow us on some, um, uh, social media at Fishy Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We love getting the feedback. We love hearing the comments. We love hearing how good we make you feel. And if we step on your tour, or step on your con, we we'll want to hear that too. So if we've upset you in any way, we want to hear that as well. So yeah, continue to tune in. Um, we hope to see you here, same time, same place, next Friday. Bye. Yeah, share the link with a friend, okay? Say what? Share what? The- Share the link with a friend. Share yes, the please. Share the love. Um, we're making progress, and we, we'd like to keep making progress. We're hitting those milestones. So, you know, you know, help us, help us. That's what I'm, Help us, help us. And email all of your ideas for new episodes um, at fishtpodcast at gmail.com as See well. You, Thank you for listening, and stay sophisticated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>